Well, the story's getting really exciting now. So, this is Lindy Line, a high adventure for young people. This is episode eight, so if you haven't listened to any previous episodes, you might want to do that because we're at episode eight and we're over halfway through. You'll have no idea what's going on. So go back and listen to episodes one through seven and then come right back here for episode eight, chapter 43, A Fight. They were close to the cliffs and Riley and Tommy knew that there were caves nearby and if the spies entered those caves it would be nearly impossible to rescue Princess Avery. Riley also yelled out loudly as she ran, startling the horse the spy was mounting. It rose up on its back legs and the spy fell heavily to the ground. The princess lunged at him with her sword. He tried to stand but stumbled as he drew his long dagger. Riley's blade struck the spy's long knife when the princess swung her sword at the fallen spy. The short man deflected, some might say bounced, the blow as he turned quickly to face her. The blade Riley wielded, some would say held, swung out and down and the spy, still not ready on his feet, was forced to a crouched position to prevent himself from being struck. He had little space to fight now. The sound of the two blades spooked the other horse. Tommy, seeing what Riley's shout had done, yelled out and the second horse reared. Riley looked up and saw Avery tied across the mounted spy, who held tightly to her young sister. The spy grasped his reins and got control of the horse before Tommy got close enough to pull Avery to safety. Tommy reached to pull the spy down off his mount but missed and the spy rode off with Stanhope after him but the private was on foot. The one spy took advantage of Riley's lapse of concentration and spun, his long knife knocking Riley's sword to one side. Riley jumped back, allowing the spy to stand, but before he could do anything more, she thrust her sword at him, spinning her blade around the dagger and with a flick caused the man's knife to fly from his hand. The spy saw the long sword of Riley's coming at a fast downward swing, the metal of the blade shining in the morning light. It moved faster than he could. With the flat side of her blade, the princess struck the spy on his temple. He dropped like a sack of potatoes. Riley prodded him with the sword, but he was unconscious. The princess ran back to her horse, leapt into the saddle and rode to where she had seen Stanhope go. Through the mist she galloped past Stanhope, who shouted and pointed in the direction the other spy had gone. Tommy ran back to get his mount. Once he was on the horse, he began to chase after the princess and spy, but another horse galloped past him. The rider vanished into the mists before Tommy could see who it was. Riley heard someone coming up behind her, the sound of horse hooves, fast, heavy and thundering. Tommy, she thought. The princess could see the other spy in front of her. One of his hands was holding onto her sister who was bound in a rope. The other hand held tightly to the reins. She glanced behind to see how far Tommy was away from her. The figure was covered in swirls of mist. Riley coaxed her horse faster, but as she gained on the spy she knew that using the sword might be too dangerous, that she might hit her sister Avery. The sound of the other horse was getting nearer. Maybe if Stanhope went across one side and she went the other, they could stop the spy. But as the horse got closer, she heard a voice that wasn't Tommy's. It was the hunter, and he was holding out a bow. Riley sheathed her sword as he approached and reached out and grabbed it. Throwing the bow over her shoulder, she tried to take an arrow the hunter was offering her as they now rode side by side. 
To Riley, it looked like he had another two bows over his shoulder. It's hard to grab something from another when both are riding horses at speed, but eventually the princess got hold of the arrow. She put the arrow in her teeth and brought the bow back off her shoulder. Riley kneed the horse faster, dropping the reins in her lap as she notched the arrow into the bowstring. The hunter gained on the spy and went round one side of him, but the spy was on a faster horse than Riley. One of the elves appeared running, trying to change the horse's direction as it waved its arms. They were driving the spy towards the cliffs. Riley wondered if she could pass the spy, but the hunter pressed hard, forcing the spy into changing direction to move across Riley. The princess, with her feet secure in the stirrups, stood up off the saddle and absorbed the movement of the horse with her own body, her knees bending and straightening as the creature galloped. Riley took careful aim with the bow, drew the string back and loosed the arrow. The princess watched as it spun toward the spy until it struck his shoulder. The shaft was in his body and he leaned forward from the impact before straightening up, but that was all it needed to slow him down enough. Princess Riley came up on the rider and the hunter came across the front of the spy, blocking his path. The spy had nowhere to go and slowly stopped, falling from the horse as he did. The hunter was off his mount and cutting the ropes from Princess Avery, freeing her before Riley leapt down and hit the ground. She charged at the spy and with the flat of the sword struck him on his back. Ow! he cried out and ducked as she swung again. Don't you ever, Riley said through her gritted teeth as she hit the spy again, do anything, she struck the man once more, to my sister, she said as she landed another blow, this one on his arm or it will be the true edge of the sword you feel next time. The spy lay crying on the ground when she struck him again, and not the flat. The hunter ran over and grabbed Riley's arm. Okay, he said, it's okay now, Avery is free. He took her arm and turned her to face her sister. Riley ran to Avery and took her in her arms. Are you okay? said Riley. Are you okay? she asked. Her voice was pleading. Avery was crying, but she was able to say a quiet and meek, Yes. When Stanhope rode in, he saw the sisters were safe, and the elf was taking care of the spy. The arrow was being pulled out from the front. Sophia arrived with the other elf, pulling the other spy by rope. He was still unconscious. Once the other spy was bandaged up, each spy was bound very tightly and were tied together. They were then dragged and roped to a tree trunk, growing from the base of a cliff. They were only a few yards from the caves. Riley and Avery sat talking to each other while the elves got the horses ready. Stanhope and the hunter got a fire going and made a quick meal. The hunter had not only brought bows for each of the sisters, but he also had some food supplies. After eating, they got up on their mounts. The elves shared one of the horses they had captured from the spies, and Princess Avery had the other. The hunter... Private Tommy Stanhope of the Lindy Line City Guard, Princess Avery, Princess Riley and the elves rode back east until sunset. All of them wanted to get back to the magical creatures and with Michaelmas and Mars Stanhope and ensure their safety in the Mendips. They bedded down for the night just north of where the end of the cliffs began or where they ended. What they did not know was that not long after they set up camp in the darkness, Dr Jordan and two others rode past them, looking for them and the spies. Chapter 44
leaving Adele, Akimus and Harp to get to Wilhay. As Tommy Stanhope and Princess Riley had chased the spies due west over the South Plains and towards Falls River, Mars Stanhope and Michaelmas with Adele, Akimus and Harp were travelling northeast on the East Plains, getting closer to the Mendips. Even though the princesses and their friends were heading back east, they were still many miles between them. Michaelmas nodded when Jonesy finished telling him all he knew and turned to speak to Mars Stanhope. It seems we are needed in Wilhay, he said. But that's the wrong direction, said Mars Stanhope. I know, but the hunter and Princess Avery have been captured by Birchwood soldiers and Princess Riley and Tommy are hoping to rescue them. I'm confident that your son and Princess Riley will help them, but can we leave it to chance that Avery and Riley will be safe, said Michaelmas. He looked at Mars Stanhope for what seemed like a long time before she answered. I suppose not, said Mars Stanhope. They also have the elves, she added, at which Michaelmas nodded. Waving her hand at the unicorn Pegasus and Unisus, Mars Stanhope said, I'll ask the family what they think. She explained the situation to Akimus, Adele and Harp, not knowing events had drastically changed. Akimus looked at Adele and asked if they should go on their own to the Mendips. The caves were not far off, they judged, from what Mar told them, and they would reach them by nightfall. Then it was a question of finding the caves there. They agreed to go on their own to the Mendips and hide out. It's not far for us to go now, Adele said to Mar Stanhope. You would travel faster without us. Although Harp is very strong for such a young one, she cannot yet run as fast, and for as long as your steeds. But one day, said Mukuma, smiling, when Mar Stanhope told him what Adele said, she will run faster than all of us. Mar Stanhope reached over and stroked Harp's neck. May you have good speed and safety. Then looking at the Pegasus, she said, You know where the caves are? Akimus snorted and shook his head. Mikuma smiled again at what Mar Stanhope said and took his staff and shook it. This will help you find your way. Come here, beckoned Mikumus. Akimus looked at Adele, and it was Adele who came over. Mikumus was fine with that. He told Adele what would happen, and Akimus listened with great care. The old man took out the key, inserted it into the stick, and with one hand on the stick and the other hand on Adele's shoulder, Mikumus used the blue light to show Adele the way to the caves. Adele was motionless for a while, and then excitedly told her family what it had been like. Now you know the way, said Mar Stanhope. We will visit you soon to make sure you are truly safe, as soon as we have the princesses said Mar Stanhope. Akimus reared up and called out, his voice filling the plains, quickly followed by Adele and Harp. When the three beings had their hooves on the ground once more, they turned and rode off, making the sound of soft drumming as they headed to the Mendic Caves. Mar Stanhope and Michaelmas turned their horses back towards Wilhay and rode hard and fast. Jonesy flew. It was close to dark when they arrived at Wilhay, the sun had set, but they could see the lights in the homes of Wilhay. They cantered into the village and rode to the inn, Jonesy flying down to land on Michaelmas's shoulder. There were many people coming in and out of the inn, a lot of excited talking there. It looked at first like a regular busy night, but Wilhay was a small village. Every citizen must have been there. At the inn, the travellers dismounted and tied the horses to a hitch. Mar Stanhope and Michaelmas walked inside and moved closer to the groups of talking people. As they neared people, voices got quieter, making it hard to hear what was being said. 
Few people noticed the newcomers until they got close, and fewer still noticed the bird on the old man's arm as Michaelmas petted the raven with his staff tucked awkwardly under his arm. Mars Stanhope and Michaelmas looked at each other and slowly walked to the bar room and dining room looking for signs of soldiers or the princesses. When they did not see them, they walked up to the bar. Can I help you? asked Emma with a broad smile, wiping her hands on her apron. Yes, said Michaelmas slowly. I'm looking for a friend of mine. She was travelling with a hunter. They may have come in with some soldiers. I believe they were here this morning. We were supposed to meet them. The people around them got quieter, and the smile Emma was wearing dropped a little before being forced back onto her face. A man with a crooked back was standing next to them and turned to look at Michaelmas and Mars Stanhope. Richard said, They left this morning. They didn't mention meeting anyone here. Were there elves with them? asked Michaelmas. My son should have been with them, Tommy Stanhope, said Mars Stanhope, before Richard could respond to Michaelmas. She held out her hand to him. Mrs Stanhope, but most folks call me Mars Stanhope. Richard looked at her and slowly took her offered hand and shook it gently. Pleased to meet you. This is Emma, and Frank is in the kitchen. This is their place, said Richard, pointing his thumb at the innkeeper and then towards the kitchen. Your son, Marston, Hope, and your friends, they left somewhat in a hurry, he said. Did they leave free and of their own accord? asked Marston, Hope. Worry crossed her face. Emma spoke. That they did, in sort. Michaelmas noticed an almost unperceivable nod from Richard to someone behind him. Michaelmas let his staff slide from his arm and took it in his hand. Can you be more specific? asked Michaelmas as he turned slightly. Jonesy could see the parts of the room which Michaelmas could not, and the bird watched closely. Richard stood up and Michaelmas realised the room had gone quiet. He wanted to turn and look, but instead kept his eyes on Richard, knowing Jonesy would let him know if action were needed. Mars Stanhope moved close to Richard and put a hand on his arm and said, My son, Tommy, we were told that a hunter and Princess Avery were captured by some of Birchwood's soldiers. Tommy was looking after Princess Riley, and they had ridden here to help against the soldiers. It's very important that they know how they are and where they are. Richard smiled a little and sat back down. So you are with Lindy Line then, he said. Yes, said Michaelmas, turning the stick in his hand. Good. All is well as best as we can tell. Richard's face did not look happy, though. The hunter is my brother. We had a plan to capture the soldiers, which we did, he added quickly. But, but the plan went wrong, they discovered it. He looked at Emma, who blushed. We hired a young lad, said Emma. Turned out that he was on the side of Birchwood. I suppose his orders were to keep an eye on things here. The two spies, said Richard, who were here with the soldiers were able to flee with Princess Avery taking her captive. Some elves who were with your son and Princess Riley found their tracks, and her royal highness and Tommy went after them, with the elves leading the way. Dr. Ben Jordan followed as soon as he had made sure the hunter was all right. My brother, the hunter, and Ben and a couple of other men followed. My brother travels fast, and had left the doctor and the other men behind. We had weapons, bows for the princess, and food for them. When Ben and the others found the spies, and they were tied and beaten up pretty badly, we assumed that the two princesses were okay. After camping out for the night with the spies, the men came home, as they knew the others would be in good hands with my brother. The spies are in jail. Michaelmas nodded. 
Which way did they ride? he asked. A voice behind him, the voice of Dr Ben Jordan, said, The initial chase has taken them west. Their tracks were easy to follow. We thought we would ride out again tomorrow with more provisions. Can we do anything to help you both? No, said Michaelmas, relaxing, except give Mar Stanhope and myself rooms for the night. We won't be travelling tonight in the dark. He smiled at Emma and bowed, nodded his head and smiled towards Richard. Now tell us all the details, said Michaelmas, smiling. Rooms were provided and Richard was happy to tell Mar Stanhope and Michaelmas about all the excitement that had occurred in Wilhay. Sometimes other people would add to the conversation and the feeling in the room was lively. Mar Stanhope and Michaelmas heard from many people that night. Sometimes different versions of what had happened that day conflicted with what others had said, but Michaelmas and Mar Stanhope knew that somewhere in the middle was the truth. Eventually, they found their room and fell exhausted into beds, warmed with a copper heating pan filled with coals. It seemed to them both it had been a long while since they had slept in a warm, comfortable bed. That night, Mar Stanhope and Michaelmas slept long and hard. Chapter 42 The Battle General Poe ordered his troops north along Forest Road, as it was called north of the village of Halfway. General Poe and King Boris could see and hear the waterfalls off in the distance as they passed by. The cliffs rose up to meet the trees in the forest, looking a bit like a mouth with a woody moustache. The buds that were beginning to appear made it look like there were bits of food in the moustache. King Boris kept looking at the cliffs, as if something were to come flying down at him to do the king harm, namely a unicorn. The only thing which flew from the woods was a hawk, which screeched as it dove along the cliffs. King Boris looked back at his soldiers to take his mind off the bad thoughts he kept having of the fall he had had in his early youth. As the birchwood men and women soldiers took the road along the edge of the central forest, they could see in the far distance rows of Lindyline soldiers north of them, tents and blockades set up on the north plains. We have them outnumbered, it appears, said Poe slowly. It does, doesn't it, replied King Boris, smirking, setting himself high in his saddle. Poe ordered the troops to halt and rest now that they were within striking distance. The soldiers began to get out their food and eat their rations. It had been a long march, and General Poe did not want to send tired and hungry troops into battle. As they rested and ate, the king and general could see the small army of Lindeline prepare for a fight. What they did not see was a single Lindeline soldier walk off into the forest. What they also did not see was a horse hidden in the trees. The Lindeline soldier climbed on the horse and rode softly, hidden by the trees, right past the Birchwood soldiers, a little further south and up to the Lindeline troops, well hidden in the woods of the central forest, below the Birchwood army. There he met with the Elf King Jack and General Witherspoon. Witherspoon had ridden down and joined her troops in the forest the previous night. As silent as can be, they prepared for battle, or at least planned on a great surprise for King Boris. Word was passed through the Lindy Lion ranks, and the soldiers who had hidden the cannon hitched it up, and with all the silence that they could muster, brought it through the trees and out of the woods. They were at least half a mile behind the lines of Birchwood soldiers. 
Lindy Line troops gathered, hidden in the trees, and waited. The troops in the forest further north also gathered at the edges of the forest, unseen by Poe and Boris. The Lindy Line armies, small though they were, watched their birchwood enemies rest and eat. King Boris drew his sword and looked down the blade. It was highly polished and handsome. One of the best sword makers of Birchwood had made it for Boris's 16th birthday, by order of his mother, of course. She had been ruler since Boris had turned 10. His father had died of old age. Boris did not want to die of old age. He wanted to die with glory, die defending his country, or invading one. King Boris had been coroneted, some say made king, on his 16th birthday, and had been presented the sword which he now held. His mother had died two years later. It was also the year of his fall. It was this sword he had taken with him when he had followed a unicorn over the border into Lindy Line and into the Central Forest. In his youth, the sword had felt heavy and awkward, but now as he lifted and studied the shining blade, it felt light and part of King Boris's own arm. Boris had known in his youth the legends of the power of the horn of a unicorn and what that could give you. He wanted that power then. Now he wanted it all the more, as well as the death of every unicorn he could find. As a young man, he had spent a great deal of time in the eastern forests of Lindyline. There was something magical about the forests in that kingdom. Maybe part of it was being in another country. Still, there was definitely a magic to the forests here. Soon the forests would be his, well, his brothers, but almost the same thing. Boris shook his head and sheathed the sword in its scabbard before riding to a high point from where he could watch the battle. On the other side of where Forest Road split and Eastern Road became City Road, a handwritten note was delivered by a soldier to the brigadier. The note had come from General Witherspoon of the Lindy Line Army. It read, Fire the rocket once your soldiers are ready. The cannon is in place. The brigadier raised his eyebrows and turned to his major. Do you think this plan will work? I hope so. Me too. Rocket at the ready, he called. Fire! A moment later there was a loud explosion and a rocket flew into the sky. When the rocket exploded it caused lights to flare everywhere above the Lindy Line army. Within the birchwood ranks, King Boris looked puzzled. What was that? he said. It looks like some sort of firework. If they're aiming it at us, they missed. It went straight up, said General Poe, with little humour. The king, however, laughed. Now what sort of an army do they have, eh, General? Indeed, said Poe. Get the men ready, General. We have waited long enough. As you command, your majesty, said Poe. The general rode off to set his troops. He ordered three rows of soldiers with a line of archers in front of them. The army got organised and the level of energy rose. There was a mix of excitement and fear in the air, a feeling of anticipation. The soldiers began to bang swords against shields. Some of them began to roar. A rider then rode from the Lindy Line camp, waving a white flag. Here we go, said King Boris, rolling his eyes. Maybe they want to surrender. The king waved his hand at Poe. The general galloped out to meet the rider. King Boris could see words being exchanged, but was too far off to hear what was being said. The general then turned back, raising himself from his saddle, looking back, the king thought, at the Birchwood army. 
The general seemed to shake his head, then rode back towards King Boris. When he got by the monarch's side, he said, Look behind our troops, your majesty. Look to the south. The king turned in his saddle and looked. There was a large cannon in the road. Behind the cannon were archers, armed with long bows. Behind the archers were soldiers with swords and shield, some still leaving the cover of the trees. Behind the soldiers were a swarm of elves and a few trees which were also lumbering from the forest. He spun back to the north. He saw more Lindyline troops coming from the forest in front of him, adding to what he had thought was a tiny army of Lindyline men and women. We're surrounded. King Boris was stunned. We're surrounded. He looked at his general, horror on his face. Indeed, said Poe. The general frowned and calculated their chances of winning. The king looked back at the Lindyline troops, and then his own troops, and then at the Lindyline army in front of his troops. We're surrounded. General Poe cleared his throat. The messenger asked with the deepest respect for your majesty if we would like to surrender, said General Poe, his voice almost a whisper. Would I like to surrender? Surrender? Me? Me surrender? said King Boris. Your Majesty, we are... Sur I know, the King interrupted. I know. Would I like to surrender? No, but have we any choice? The King noticed some trees were lumbering from the western forest, joining the Lindyline troops to the north. Oh, good grief, he murmured. General Poe turned to see what the King was talking about and also saw the trees. He raised his eyebrows and turned to face the king. Boris glared at the general. Don't do that thing with your eyebrows, it annoys me, said the king. Well, what do we do? You're my general, advise me. Well, we could try to fight, but their cannon, which could maybe get two good shots off before we could disable it, could kill many of our troops. We're unprotected from the rear and they have what looks like a good number of archers, who could reach our soldiers easily from the south. Although the army in the North Plain is small, they could still do a lot of damage to us, and those trees? Well, I have no idea what sort of damage they could do, and I imagine quite a lot. And I would also remind Your Majesty that we're a good way from home, and while we wait for support, which may not come, seeing as our army is captured, it is possible Lindy Line could bring more troops from the east. Do they have anywhere to get troops from? asked the king. There are a couple of forts east of us, replied the general. Those are the facts, I suppose, said King Boris. What would you advise I do with them? I would humbly suggest we ask to parley, some would say talk, with the king and queen of Lindyline. Maybe we can go home quietly without surrendering our troops, nor losing them in battle. Maybe we can get your brother, his highness, Prince Harold, back too. Bother! King Boris looked angry, but also suddenly very tired and much older than his years. So let us parley, the king sighed, with the king and queen of Lindyline. And now we will leave them to go and have their parley, as we finish this episode of Lindy Line, an original story by Simon Brooks, written and told by Simon Brooks. Please tune back, same time, same bat channel, tomorrow, for the next instalment of Lindy Line, a high adventure. Bye.